This is Binod Shankar. You're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA, and more. Now, you would think, why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical, practical issues. Number two, authentic. No bullshit. No sidestepping. The topics, guests, and questions are all from that perspective. And number three, take a chartered accountant, CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, during a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling, and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Welcome to episode number six. Today's guest is Surabhi Chauhan, and she's very young. And you're going to get a serious attack of inferiority complex after you hear to out like I did, or you get inspired. Let's look at the resume. Surabhi went to Delhi Public School, by the way, one of the top schools in India, where she was sports captain, house captain, national level swimmer, classical dancer, and member of the student council. She then graduated with a bachelor's in management studies from Saint Xavier's College in Mumbai, which is a top college. She's also passed all three levels of the CFA program. Now that's just the academic part. Let's talk about the career. Investment banker with J.P. Morgan Chase, private banker with Cortex Securities, AVP in equity analysis with Alchemy Capital, which by the way is a leading fund management house set up by the legendary Rakesh Junjunwala. And now she manages money for high net worth clients. Oh, and I forgot, she's only 28 years old, by the way. So I thought this is interesting, you know, someone who spends so much time in different areas, uh, all related to the CFA program and, you know, investments and asset management at the age of 28. And she's now, and she's now venturing on her own and managing clients and portfolios and, you know, and and, uh, mark, and looking at markets very closely. So I thought it's very interesting for, for her to tell her story as to how she has journeyed, her challenges, the issues and her solutions to things. So welcome on board, uh, Thank you, Thank you, Binod. Now, I have to ask this question to you because you're quite young, mm. uh, but you've spent very short time in some companies like, you, know, you worked in JP Morgan, Gina, Kotak, um, the famous, of course, Alchemy. Mm. Why yes. is that? Uh, do you think professionals should keep moving? Uh, because there are two schools of thought, right? One is that you should stay the same job for three to five years. Yes. Others that you should keep jumping. So, mm. what's your take? So, different people have different opinion when it comes to job stability. I will put it in you know, in this way that, you know, if you're not experiencing something which you are passionate about and if you're not learning, you know, which is a constant learning or con- continuously learning and becoming stagnant, then there is no harm in exploring new fields in professional life. Uh, the idea that, you know, a lot of people may consider you that as a job hoppers, if you're going to keep on changing the roles or the organization quite frequently, it should not be the way. One should, you know, keep moving ahead, keep learning just to keep up with the rapid changes in the business world in order to survive in this cutthroat competition. Your job security is something, you know, nowadays, which is there in your control. You can control it, you know, it's no longer in the hands of employer, I believe. Uh, you can build your own marketability and then, you know, the same thing, you can carry it around with you. Lastly, I would like to emphasize one more thing. The more companies you're going to work for, the more reputation you're going to build, within the business community or the network you have because you have different brands, you know, and you have worked in different sectors, or I would say different fields, right? In short, it will help you to expand your network. The more 
it'll also help you to become more comfortable you know in terms of you know when some new business situation arise and you can figure it out how to solve the issues uh and lastly <clears throat> all these experiences you know will ultimately help you to grow in your mm. life mm. and in, in ultimately in your career that's my take on the same so so what you're saying here from what i understand sir is you know you went from research to in this banking to private banking so you learned what you had to learn yes. and at the moment that you felt that you were stagnating correct me if i'm wrong right yes uh, you moved on yeah also at some point of time you realize what you're passionate about what's mm. your core area mm. or which area you like maybe for me it's asset management what ultimately i'm doing it maybe for somebody it's investment banking maybe for somebody it's private banking mm. over a period of time in different organization one will realize that you know what they are actually interested into mm. and if you are passionate about something there you can perform your 100% without any kind of stress and you can do really well and as a result you can move ahead in your career this is what my philosophy has been so far so it seems that you finally found your passion which is investing in markets yes that's my passion okay. yeah fantastic This is something that most people don't get that early in At life. Early, yeah. Yes, I mean they have struggle, and even the thirties and forties they don't find their passion um, for for longest time. Yeah, so I mean, you're lucky in that way. That uh, not lucky actually. I think you experimented a lot, right? And, yes. And, and, and tried different things. I least, I know. decided to be contrary in this approach when mm-hmm. it comes to the whole entire stigma of job stability. Uh, I decided what I really like. I followed my heart as well as my mind. I took calculative risk as well. Uh, in terms of that and then i just went with the flow you know so so far uh, i it worked out it worked out it worked well out. for me yeah. good stuff right yeah. so so one thing comes to my mind because you worked in some top companies right jp morgan kotak yes. alchemy these are household names yes and you've switched smoothly and easily among these companies you've built up a network but you must have had some help along the way what i'm saying is did you have mentors i mean how did you find them how do you get them to help you and describe if you can three ways in which mentors helped you okay so as of now i'm going to talk about my early one of my early mentors whom i happened to met during my stint at family office which is gina so gina logistics is a company they sold off their division to thomas cook and ultimately they got certain corpus and they wanted somebody to manage that so they were hiring a team of people right now i happened to meet the ci of the company and then finally you know he told he offered me a position and he told me why don't you get onboarded and that's where i'm going to get the real hardcore fund management thing because ultimately it's a family office management uh that's where i ma- uh, meet met mr gorap parik uh, mr gorap parik uh, he has more than 30 years of experience in markets equity markets per se he worked in different organization also prior to this like pwc etc uh he helped me in several ways so first of all how i approached him i approached him in the sense you know one has to be very discreet okay so a lot of people they shy you know okay what this person is going to think about me maybe it's too early to ask him i don't know him that well mm-hmm. so what i realized given his expo- experience and exposure of after all he studies 30 years of experience he got i realized that you know he can teach me a lot so i just went straight forward to him and asked him you know i want you to be my mentor to which he happily responded and because a lot of people they also see you know that eagerness that you know the passion uh, that courage and that you know discreetness in terms of communication people like that thing so before we go to this, <laughs> the the ways in which he helped right hmm. but you're right so you you had to you had to be discreet when you approach a mentor be they're very busy yes they're very discreet, discreet. and they're very busy people yes 
So, and very importantly, he must have seen something in you for him to spare some time to help you as a mentor. Obviously. Obviously. Yes. Initiative, uh, no. Eagerness. Eagerness, learn. Uh, proactive. Proactive. Yeah, yeah, things like that. So, that's why I keep telling youngsters as well, right? I mean, when they come approach me or other people for helping mentoring. Hmm. Uh, yes, do ask for mentoring. But then, what is it that you're going to give back? What hmm. is that? What is the promise in you? What is the potential in you? Right. How do you demonstrate that? Don't expect a very busy mentor, a very knowledgeable mentor to hmm. suddenly drop everything and come and help you. Right? Yeah. So, I believe youngsters should actually, when they join some organization at early stage, they should identify people, you know, hmm. within their organization and find one mentor. You don't need to have multiple mentors, I believe. Find one right mentor for you and I think things will be, you know, really can work out really well. Yeah. So... Go, so, going back to the earlier point, right, about yeah. the, the the ways in which a mentor can help and this the three ways in which this mentor helped you. So Yes. So, I would uh, briefly mm. talk about the same. Uh, mm. So, basically, the first point I would like to say, you know, he asked me to be more, you know, curious and inquisitive. And essentially, you know, uh, which means that emphasizing on the asking the right questions and to step out from my comfort zone which ultimately helped me to strengthen my research and analytical skills, which is very important mm. in research. You know, you have to be very inquisitive and curious. Ask the right question when it comes to even asking the company's promoter or management. Mm. Okay. Second thing, you know, he always advised me never to compromise with integrity. This is very first, you know, even in CFA, if you see people talk about ethics, right, which is a very important topic. So similarly, uh, it in turn helped me to, you know, help me in uh, asset management profession of mine, wherein I managed to get credibility or trust of my clients. Can you give me a few examples without naming names as to how you demonstrated integrity in dealing with clients? So I always believe in never to, you know, uh, do over promises with the clients, whatever it is there, just mm. tell them discreetly. Even if you've made mistakes, please come forward and share, you know, this is, this was my logic and this is a rationale why I did this. Okay, things have not gone in the right direction. That's okay. People make mistakes. If I'm not going to make mistake, then, you know, if I'm going to be 100% right, then I'm like a god. I'm not like that. So, ju just come forward before client pointing out to you. You just tell them, you know, this is what happened. But, again, try to tell him, you know, th these are the rationals why I have done that. However, keeping all these things in mind, one should also focus how you can improve. Mm. Okay, mm. so this is very important. So, that comes as a part of integrity, you know, coming forward and telling the mistakes. Now, uh, coming back to the uh, point where uh, Mr. Parikh helped me, the last point I would like to emphasize is that, you know, he shared a lot of insights with me um, because he has worked in, you know, uh, in equity markets and uh, in different professions also, being a CA and he has worked with PwC and everything mm -hmm. and got 30 years of rich experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he told me, you know, how exactly one should react, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in certain times of professional hardship or difficulties. Or even by making wrong mistakes, you know. So, all these things he has shared in terms of sharing his examples, feedbacks uh, from his professional life or his past mistakes. So, I could have relayed that. Now, now presently, if I'm making any mistakes, right? So, I can connect. Okay, this is what Mr. Parikh has done. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I can easily relate to that and how he would have uh, managed or how I should do it right now. Uh, keeping all those things in mind. Which is very interesting because... I've been interacting with you for almost, what, 15 months now. Right. Um, you know, uh, LinkedIn, etc., etc. And one thing I've noticed about you is you never get, you never lose your calm. You, you know, whatever the situation is, you, the, the reply has always been there's a solution. Yes. There is no situation which is always, which is, uh, what do you call, uh, desperate or lost. 
Or a panic situation. I or say. a panic situation. So I think, especially in markets, when you're dealing with market with a lot of volatility and risk and losses, possible losses, I think if you panic, then all is lost. Yes. I think that's a point that we will revert to later. Yeah. Sure. So another question I want to ask you, of course, um, which I did not mention at the beginning, I think this point that you have mm. actually cleared all three levels of the SAFER program, yes. which I should have mentioned when I introduced you. Yes. But I'm making up for it now. So, yes. But you were working when you nailed the SAFER exam, right? right? All three levels. Yeah. And... People who are working and people who are right and study and write with exams find it very challenging sometimes because we Absolutely. have a you know nine to five or eight to eight office uh, schedule hmm. with clients and everything and then apart from that you have the massive curriculum and, hmm. and the booming exams right hmm. so describe for me three study challenges and how you overcame them as in your CFA journey. So, as you rightly said, you know, uh, obviously the biggest challenge would have been managing the office mm. or my work along with the study schedule. That is, I think, uh, the biggest challenge everyone is facing given True. the kind of um, work schedule I have. There is absolutely no schedule. I have to work, you know, whenever there's a need, mm. right? Mm. I have to be always on the toes. Now, how I managed to, uh, you know, uh, overcome this challenge is that, you know, basically... One has to be very focused, you know, how many hours they have to allocate. They can design, you know, every day they can design that plan or they can do it on weekends as well. It depends on you, right? Mm. How many hours you want to dedicate. Now, whenever you are dedicating any particular hours for your study, one has to be very focused. It should be distract-free distract, distract free study, you know. Mm. It should not be like you're doing multitasking and doing it simultaneously. And that is majority, that is the main reason why majority people also unable to clear that thing because they want to do multitasking. One should never do it. Try to cut off, focus all your time and energy towards the exam. You yeah, don't keep switching between Schweizer and uh, Netflix and Schweizer and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> that yeah, doesn't absolutely, work. that doesn't work. So in my case, you know, or given the fact I had mon Monday to Friday very hectic schedule, so I used to keep my you know um, study um, schedule mm. uh, mainly during the weekends, and I used to devote my entire time in that. And the same thing, most important thing is that, you know, while you're preparing for CFA, also communicate the same thing to your employers mm. or say your boss so that, you know, he can also become a little liberal. You know, this is something you're not doing it for yourself, but obviously it will also help the organization true, going forward, true, you know. True. So one should always effectively communicate rather than hiding things and then, you know, managing it. So I'm assuming that your employers were more understanding. I mean, you told them, you told them in advance. And, I told them in advance. And were they understanding? I mean, they were understanding. In yeah. fact, they gave me, you know, they told me if you want to take off, you know, like for example, in my case, I took almost 20, 25 days off before the main date, you know, mm. main exam date. Mm. So they were very understanding. They told me, okay, you should go for it. Definitely. When it comes to topic wise, you know, uh, mm. I would like to emphasize for me, ethics and quants were quite challenging uh, subject because again, ethics somewhat subjectivity comes to the picture True. Mm -hmm. and uh, again you know how i overcome this thing by ex practicing extra set of questions from cfa institute books and everything mm. lastly uh which is level two and level three preparation mm. uh, i've realized that i was taking more time in solving case studies questions and essay questions than normal so in short i overcome this problem by solving more number of old CFA question papers and to time myself. So mm. one thing is very important to time yourself, which is very essential, you know, and yeah. Especially in level three, I think. Uh, level three. A lot Absolutely. of people have issues in the morning, AM session, which is uh, essay, what CFA should call constructed response, hmm. Hmm. where you're looking at blank piece of paper on which you have to write your answers hmm. within time limit and you're stressed. You're stressed, yeah. So unless you practice past exam papers and CFA itself offers what past three years exams 
uh, questions and guideline answers on the CFN's website. Hmm. So candidates should go and practice and try to get more exam papers from previous years as well, so that they can write what I say quickly, concisely, and clearly. To right. the point, right? right. To, the point. to the point, to the, to the point, point, which is very important. Exactly. Right. So the CFA program is done. Now, uh, how relevant or how, describe, tell me five ways or you know, in which the CFA program helped or changed you. Not just as a professional, because that obviously, you know, you learned more skills, you know, in, in various asset classes, etc. But if possible, as a person as well, because a lot of people tell me, CFA changed me as a person. I've become more this or that or whatever. So, what is your take on this? So, first thing is that, you know, it uh, helped me to imbibe more discipline, you know, uh, towards my overall approach in life and, you know, going forward, which is very, very, very good thing, I would say, you know, while preparing for CFA. Uh, second thing is that, you know, I, I come from, obviously, I come from finance background. So, you know, sometimes what happens, you know, uh, either you can do MBA in finance, a lot of people go with that way or... You can go with the CFA thing. So for me, CFA again, for majority people, it's more affordable degree, True. but yet vast. Mm -hmm. The topics are well covered and everything, you know. So in short, it gives you good foundation and uh, uh, in finance industry as such. Yeah. Mm. And what else? What, what, is there any other way in which uh, it, it helped you? So basically, you know, when you have a CFA degree or CFA... Um, when you've cleared yes. this thing and when you share certain things with other people, you know, say for your clients or um, for, you know, your future employers, then it also add a lot of credibility, especially if you are in the field of finance. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, then they also consider, okay, she has gone through all those things, you know, difficult part. And it's not, it also gives you a holistic approach towards the different entire finance field and different asset classes and everything. Which in sh short, I believe that, you know, you can win a potential client with the help of that or you mm. can manage to get a potential job. So this is very important what I have realized and it has helped me so far. Mm. In my personal thing, you know, whenever I meet any client, you know, who actually comes from, say, finance background, who comes from investment banking background and I'm saying that I have cleared all these things. So, okay, so he consider even the given the fact I come from non-MBA background, um, I'm quite young as of now True. and less experienced compared to them. But then, you know, it also adds credibility in front of them. They think, okay, she has gone through the rigorous process and everything. Now, I think she deserves a chance. So, at least that very first basic step, mm -hmm. the first step, you know, in terms of winning a client or getting him on board, it actually helps me in that, you know, uh, that they are willing to give me a chance, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I think uh, I've heard this a lot of time from my students as well in my CFA class who are in private banking or in you know, managing asset uh, client assets. And... After passing the exam, they go to talk to clients, it changes. You are no longer seen as a salesperson. You are seen more as an advisor. The conversation changes. Uh, yeah. Or you go to meetings and you give your card and after your name, you have three letters, CFA. Right. Suddenly, people don't bullshit you. People right. take you more seriously. Right. Your credibility is enhanced. Yeah, yeah so it basically works uh, in case of, in my case again, uh, more with ultra-HNI clients or mm. family offices or institutional clients. They mm. actually emphasize on all these things, you know. They want to see, okay, uh, the person is not only coming here to sell, you know, to sell something. Mm. The person is also going to add a lot of value. And lastly, the most important thing, you know, it also help you in terms of expansion of your network. Correct, correct. Okay, because all these events are being organized. I think the events are quite good. A lot of people are yes, coming. Yes. Uh, industry people are coming and more experienced people are coming. So it gives you another gateway in terms of helping you to expand your network, which is very crucial in terms of, you know, at later stage of your career, uh, the normal job portals or normal things won't get you. No, no. 
it's mainly through your network which will help you to succeed ahead right so this is very important one should also emphasize you know how they can channelize or how they can use the network mm. which cfa institute is providing you know true yeah so it in my case you know all these things and one thing i want to emphasize i think on the on the credibility side i think cfa institute is quite popular increasing in popularity yeah. and growth in in emerging markets you know middle east yeah. um asia india china right so now it's not like 10 years ago 20 years ago when people would say cf cfa what you know um now people know what cfa stands for right. and and a lot of people are passed out and they they're managing client money and you know that that's quite quite there so well, right? again it's not only uh, from india point of view it's mm. a it in terms of network it, it allows you to get into the global network oh, yeah, because it's a global phenomenon globe yeah. huh so because people are there in different parts of the world you know and this is something globally recognized mm. you know mm. so i think it plays a very important role in shaping your career now yeah. something i wanted to ask you specifically because of your very interesting uh, experience right because surabhi you've covered so many sectors right you've covered equity research you have been in private banking you have been in investment banking right uh, asset management yeah um family office you know dealing with ultra high net worth individuals right at such a young age normally people do this when they are 40 45 have done this when they are 40 45 right 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 so and i'm sure our listeners would want to know what is it that it takes for success in these areas because these are the main areas to, for which the cfa qualifications app is relevant to Right, 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 right. So, tell me the ingredients for personal success in each of these areas, and I talk about say um, research, investment banking, private banking, and asset management. Okay. Yeah. So, Bino, I will put it in a very uh, concise manner. Uh, g- uh, given the fact, you know, uh, there are four things we need to talk about. Mm. Now, when it comes to research, you know, let me put it in very simple way. It requires you to have, you know, uh, inquisitiveness, the curiosity, you know, uh, because. you'll be finding you'll be doing research right so you have to again ask the right question and why it is happening like that or why the company is doing like that you need to be inquisitive second thing obviously you have to deal with numbers lot of numbers so there is no possibility of making an error so again the attention to detail mm. thing the quality comes into picture and lastly it's logic mm. it's all about logic you know certain things are uh, certain things have to be you know uh, in place in terms of logic and these are the three qualities i believe you know so, one should have inquisitiveness in, attention to detail and being logical being logical in right. research in research okay that's very important right uh when it comes to investment banking it's more to do with analytical skills presentation and communication because then again you know when it comes to analytical skills if you're working in an early stage as a early analyst or something obviously you have to work on the pitch books and everything the number number part and all and lastly when you comes to invest investor banking part which is front end job or front end profile then it's more to do with presentation and communication how well you are able to present in front of your clients you know mm. it can be a target client or it can be a potential you know client which are coming with an ipo or why they should go for, go with you only so mm. the presentation and communication effective communication skills come into the picture that time okay so i'm yeah. going to stop you here because a uh, break in rather yeah. because inquisitiveness attention detail logical analytical these are traits or skills that lot of chartered accountants and cfa holders already have right right partly or wholly but one thing that lot of them don't have and lot of them struggle with is presentation skills and communication skills right so did you have any issues and how did you get over them or how did you solve it so uh again when it comes to when it comes to presentation and communication you know uh 
I do understand the the things you've mentioned that you know people possess all these things anyways mm. during their course of time. Mm. But then when it comes to presentation and communication, I think one has to uh, very first thing think before you speak. Mm. This is one logic, you know, and it has to be more concise and crisp. You know, people don't want to hear long stories; they want to cut it short. But it has to be more crisp, backed by data and everything. So I always used to do that way, which people used to appreciate that thing. In terms of communication, be try to come to a solution which is win-win for both the parties. How you arrive that way, people also like that thing. So one has to find win-win thing, you know, mm. through effective mm. communication. So these are the things, you know, and if somebody is not good in that, they can become more proactive and try to take initiative, you know. Uh, to a certain extent, it also comes with your personality. True. Some people True. are introvert; they are a little shy. Some people are extroverts. People who are extrovert. They are generally better with presentation and communication. In my case, I'm being an extrovert. Okay, so that helps anyway. Me. Yeah, so, anyways. Right. So we talked about research. We talked about investment banking. What about private banking? What are the three ingredients there for for success? So three ingredients, uh, as per me, is uh, the most important one is relationship management. How you treasure the relation with your clients. Second thing is networking skills because obviously in terms of private banking, you have to also expand your uh, list of clients. You know. So obviously, through your network, how well you connecting with people and how well you getting them on board, it really helps you in succeeding in private banking. And lastly, good communication skills. Again, I'm emphasizing. I think mm. communication skills um, is mandatory in all the four aspects, which is research, investment banking, yeah, private banking, and asset management. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, listening skills because you know a lot of people just communicate and say talk. Mm. You have to also listen what client needs, what are his requirement, what exactly the person is looking for rather than just you know saying buy this buy that this is good for you th- that is good for you you just simply ask him or her mm. what exactly their future goals are and what exactly they need so effective listening skills are very important which i believe a lot of people are lacking actually a lot of people hear but they actually hear to reply and they are already in their mind as you're speaking replying or drafting the reply to your to your statement and they're not really hearing to listen and that's right. one because listening, proper listening, or what you call active listening, is actually an art in its own and takes a lot of time and effort. Absolutely, to get it done right. Yeah, and of course, last but not the least, uh, asset management. Uh, I think the most important quality which I realize, you know, one requires is humility. Mm. Uh, barring everything aside, keeping everything aside, humility. Why? Because you know, uh, sometimes when it comes to asset management, you have reached that level. That you're managing someone else's money, someone else's funds, mm. and those are typical big corpus, right? No matter how good you are in terms of analyzing and interpreting data, it is always important to recognize that you know you can you can be wrong or you could be wrong somewhere, mm. Mm. and one should definitely willing to accept and learn from your mistakes. Okay, this is very important thing. One should never be confident because ultimately you are dealing with someone else's money, mm. so you can't be overconfident. One has to be confident, but in moderation, right? But never overconfident. Lastly, one should have strong emotional control when it comes to asset management because you're dealing with markets, who fact, you know, basically markets fluctuate constantly. Uh, sometimes you know a lot of intraday fluctuations are happening or mm. some uh, geopolitical things are happening up and down, up and down. So what I believe is that you know one should have strong emotional control, and uh, one should never panic from mm. any kind of you know stressful situation. Because ultimately, all these things will lead to poor decision making, you know, in the right. heat of the moment. 
So strong uh, emotional control is very essential. It's really interesting you say about emotional control because if you read, read all the books or interviews of these famous investors, right, legendary investors, Warren right. Buffett or Howard Marks or Ray Dalio, right. they all emphasize this emotional control being more important than, you know, than what you IQ. call it. Yeah, IQ or technical skills. Right. Because it's very easy to panic when markets are crashing. Right. And very easy to get euphoric when markets are going up. Right. Um, but Howard Marks, I think, made this point very clearly. Actually, he linked it in his book to behavioral finance and behavioral biases right. and herd mentality and things like that, right? So I think emotional control becomes absolutely critical to success in investing. Definitely, right? Binod. In short, mm. one should operate on logic rather than emotions, you know. Mm. That's what the essence of asset management. That's easier said than done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> most most right. people... Majority yeah. people fail to do so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, you're a woman in finance and... I think you mentioned that you are one of the top 100 women in finance as uh, recognized by the uh, All India Association of uh, Wealth Management, Wealth management yeah. uh, uh, Professionals, right? Right. Which is fantastic at such a young age, right? Uh, to get this um, accolade. Thank you. So what I want to know from you is, what are the challenges you faced as a woman in finance? And because obviously it's a male-dominated world and we know this, right? Right. Uh, with a tiny fraction of analysts or fund managers are women. I think right. there should be more. So how do you deal with these challenges or how are you dealing with these challenges even now as you deal with clients um, being a woman in finance? So basically, you know, uh, I would like to talk about one challenge and which is a primary challenge I've faced so far <clears throat> being a woman in finance is that, you know, it's very difficult to break the mold of having to be middle-aged or more experienced person to get some more credibility. When it Un- comes unless to you grey your hair or you know, wear right, thick glasses. Right, you have to be right? in 35 or 40s or exactly. more experienced, right? Yeah, yeah. Because our industry, let's be honest, our industry is still very male-dominated and pretty much old boys club as, mm. you know, in the normal parlance, mm. I would like to say. So that is one challenge I have faced. But then, you know, I managed to overcome it because I decided to be more proactive, more practical with the ready-to-go approach. Whenever my client needs anything, any kind of thing, I was ready with it. Mm. Also, another thing, you have to work extra. You have to come up with a thorough homework whenever you're you know, meeting the client or etc. In short, you have to be more informed and well-read, mm. which is very important. And uh, lastly, being young is not a disadvantage, I feel. I think it also keeps you bias-free. As in when you become aged or old and you know a lot of experience are there, sometimes you become biased. So when you are young, Basically, you are bias-free. You don't have any preconceived notion or something. Hmm. I think that keeps your mind very open and flexible. And lastly, as a woman, I believe that, you know, when it comes to male counterparts, as per the stats also, if you, we can see, and Binod may also agree, women, we have better EQ, emotional quotient, compared to our male counterparts. And we have, in fact, performed really well in terms of making decisions pertaining to our investments or anyone's investments, right? So we have, in fact, performed really well in terms of investment management. So all these things are there. I don't think so then, you know, uh, if you're confident, if you are, uh, you don't differentiate yourself from others and you believe in yourself, you can really do well in all these field, uh, finance field per se. So th- these are the things, you know, uh, which I focused on and managed to. So so basically you're saying that, I mean, yes, it is challenging. Yes, there are yes, hurdles. Yeah. But work harder. Be smarter in you know in approaching clients and proposing solutions. Yes. But also leverage on the strengths being a woman, right? I mean, right, like right. you said, EQ, for example. Um, and I've noticed that in you, right? P- pretty calm, never get ruffled. Thank des- you. Despite volatile markets, hmm. right? Um, I think women are also very good in in uh, what do you call relationship management. Right. 
in in what you call anger management, and this has been proven in in research after research. So I'm not making it up. Right, right. right and right. this helps, of course, when you deal with clients on a definitely, day, day, absolutely, on a day, day, yeah. day basis. Now I looked at your uh, LinkedIn profile, and I found that you were a sports captain, you were a secretary of the literary society, you are a national level swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And a classical dancer in school. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now. You are very focused on career, and I don't think you are doing any of this sports, swimming, classical dancing. Uh, if I have not mistaken. So, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Because there's a school of thought that says, listen, don't burn yourself out. Spend some time on doing all the other fun, you know, parts of your life, and work hmm. is work. Hmm. And then there's other school of thought saying, listen, you're young. Hmm. This is the time you should slog and work your ass off. Hmm. And so, which school of thought do you be- do belong to, and why? I belong to second one. Okay, which is okay, which is you are young and mm. you should slog more and work hard to reach where you want to see mm. yourself down mm. the line. Mm. So for me, I guess work life balance is sometimes overrated. In my case, there is nothing, nothing like you know work life balance. I'm being honest, because you know I really enjoy what I do. I really enjoy my work, and you know, uh, if you're really passionate about your work, you can do it anywhere, anytime, right? So then, work life balance doesn't come into the picture. Uh, also, I'm dealing with a lot of clients who are not only from India but from abroad, from different parts of the world. So different time zones are there, and one has to also adjust with their schedule, right? So for me, I understand that you know my job requires me to do that, but then I have no uh, what do you call regrets of doing this because I really enjoy my work. In terms of yes, I do agree. Sometimes one has to also keep some time for for yourself and segregate the work and life. Which is important, but I'm working on it. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. So, bottom line, you're saying work-life balance is sometimes overrated. Yes. Okay. I absolutely agree. It's of course subjective. It's subjective <laughs> yes. to people, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, let's get to the point of you know your self-development. Right. Tell me something that you're working on right now. Some self-development project or projects that you're working on right now. So right now, like, you know, previously we talked about the work-life balance. So mm. obviously this is one thing which I'm going to work on in terms mm. of, you know, uh, focusing on my health, mm. which is, which might be getting affected because of, you know, the kind of uh, job or the kind of work I have, wherein, as I said, you know, I don't believe in work-life balance. So obviously I'm pushing every day myself. So that obviously takes toll on your health. Mm. So I'm going to be more, uh, fo- you know, I'm going to focus more on my health in terms of, you know, my mental health as well as physical health because mental health is very important the kind of work i'm involved you have to be more calm and composed so i think yoga and meditation will help me in that mm-hmm. in terms of physical health you have to do exercise and anybody you know there is a quote that a healthy mind lives in a healthy body so i'm going to focus on that mm-hmm. and uh, another thing which i'm also going to focus on uh, is i try to sometimes you know Focus on past mistakes and regrets, which I'm not going to do it. Obviously, at some point of time, somebody makes, you know, wrong financial decisions or investment decisions. But that's okay. One should be more acceptable and move on, you know. You Mm. should learn from your setbacks and more mindful and more resilient. These are the things, you know, one should focus on. And right now, I'm focusing on the same. Right. And, of course, finally, we come to this part of the podcast, right, which I ask because I'm very interested in what people have learned along their career because people come from different backgrounds and right. experience different things, right? Like yourself, for example. Yes. So what are the three lessons, the three key lessons that you have learned hmm. um, for life and for career? Okay. Uh, 
uh, I think it's very interesting question and I think it's uh, important also one should keep on learning lessons mm -hmm. I believe in that so the very first lesson which I have learned is which is very important is never stop learning uh, not to become stagnant and uh, your life is like you know uh, past mistakes happens regrets happens that's okay but one should keep on improving themselves you know there is never ending improve improvement you can see second thing i believe is be more humble be more open be more flexible either either at some point of time you will be burned or buried so ultimately one should be more you know one should allow himself or herself to be more acceptable more open and connect easily with others because you got only one life and lastly i believe one should take calculated risk i'm not saying say berserk risk it should be calculated because ultimately we have also done cf and everything so you can relate so when it comes to finance it's not like berserkly you're taking risk it has to be always calculated risk that takes you to somewhere which is much better and new in terms of what i'm trying to say is that you know sometimes there are people who might not be supporting or might not believe in yourself but that's okay listen to your heart and mind and uh, whatever you want to do in life you should do it but mm. it should be done within the within the what you call uh, uh within uh, while keeping in mind the calculated risk and everything ultimately there is a saying that you know there is no gain without pain so one should also focus on that so right. these are the three lessons which i have learned so far so and number 1 never stop learning right. number 2 is be humble and lastly would be take a calculative risk or calculated risk Yes, yeah. I think one should take risk in life because either you'll make it really big, or that's okay. You can start again. I believe. Or in life, investing, right? No risk, no return, right? Right, since, right. Since since you are a fund manager, you are an investor as yeah. well. So yeah, it sort of it sort of uh, aligns with uh, your values and and your occupation as well. But thank you so much, uh, Surabhi Chauhan, for taking time from a busy schedule to come uh, and be a guest on this uh, on the show on this podcast. Your journey is quite interesting, quite varied, and quite different from a lot of other people I've interviewed. Thank you, Vinod. And a uh, lot of lessons for youngsters. Thank you. Having achieved so much in such a short career, at the age of twenty-eight, uh, and being a CFA um, pass out as well, I hope people sort of take on both this uh, uh, what do you call the points and lessons that you have uh, shared with with me on on this interview. And uh, since you're so young, I wish you a fantastic uh, future career as well. I'm sure it has only started. And, yeah, uh, right. I hope uh, to see the you're raising to higher heights and you know in the future. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by the Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binod Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com, and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events, and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.